Crimson Islanders tied at one apiece going to Nassau Coliseum. This is the Dying Alive podcast. We're going to talk about games one and two. Look forward to games three and four. Talk about the rest of the playoffs. That's about it. Welcome back in to the Dying Alive podcast. Welcome back, Dying Alive. Special kind of show this week. The hardest working photographer in Pittsburgh can't be here, Mike Darnay. Jesse Marshall is still getting acquainted with dad life. So this week, it's me, Pat Damp, joined once again by, I guess at this point we can say the unofficial fourth member of the show, Sean Gentilly. Sean, welcome back again. It's good to have you. It's good to talk. I'm coming for that third chair, baby. Watch out, Darnay. <laughs> You're going to take over the power chair. Treat this like it's uh, <laughs> uh, WFN. Exactly. Put you in the power chair with Francesa. I'll be, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be rustling those papers in, in no time. <laughs> so before we get into games one and two, I did want to ask you, because just like the fans themselves, writers and reporters allowed back in the building for game one and two. So you were there for both. What was the atmosphere like? What did you see in there? What was the whole experience, you know, given that things are sort of kind of coming back to normal? There's a major difference between game one and game two, right, for for everybody. That's including us. Game one, it was sort of, you know, business as usual as far as whatever. All the all the nitty-gritty boring stuff of like, of like checking into games. We had to get our foreheads temperature scanned and all that sort of stuff. Uh, there were 5,000 people in the stands. Uh, game two was a little different. They, they, they upped the capacity. It was up, you know, up around 10,000 forehead scans are gone, which is great. Cause I'm always paranoid that I'm going to show up and scan, you know, whatever, a 101.5 <laughs> and not, and, and not be able to get in. That's off. That's off the table now. Uh, thankfully. Um, I think the wildest part of it was, it was only a 5,000 person jump, right? Like you wouldn't think that the difference between seeing 5,000 people in there versus 10,000 would be, would be that significant, but man, it was, and you could tell it from the jump last night, you know, whenever, whenever those guys came out for uh, warmups, whenever they actually introduced them before the game, that the anthem, all that stuff, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty close to feeling normal and, and you couldn't really say that about Sunday. So yeah, the difference, the difference between five and 10 grand is, is pretty, uh, is pretty significant. Who'd, who'd have thunk it? Yeah. And reading what I believe it was your colleague, Josh Yohe wrote about both games really is that despite it not being your usual 18,000 at PPG paints arena, the crowds that were there were engaged, like they were into it. And, they, and and that's what we expect from the playoffs. But you wouldn't expect it to kind of have that much of an intense atmosphere with numbers that low. It sounded normal, honestly, last uh, last night. And I, I don't know if it's part of it. If part of it is that I haven't been around a game like that in, you know, 15 months or 16 months or whatever or whatever it is now, like like maybe my internal barometer is 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 a little bit screwed up but i mean me and josh were sitting next to each other last night right like for for all the for all the big moments and all the you know everybody everybody cheer get crazy kind of exhortations on the on the uh on the video board 
all that, it felt it felt normal. And even and that's despite it being half full. You know, you look out and you're like, okay, this is, you know, clearly this looks like it's a Tuesday night game against the Senators or whatever it is. But man, it did not it did not sound that way. I think everybody everybody definitely uh, was in was in was in playoff mode and kind of and, and kind of was doing their best to fill the gaps. So yeah, man, the environment the environment was great. I don't know how well I don't know. You tell me how well it came across on TV, but um, it felt close, man. It felt normal. You you looked out there and you saw the rally towels and you saw the saw all the all the people in the in the random jerseys, which is always which is always so great to see. You know, it, it was it was great. It felt. Yeah, it felt I think that was that was one of the, my favorite things I saw on Sunday's game. There was a guy on the glass for Game One wearing a red Chicago Bulls Michael Jordan that's jersey. Perfect, man. I was like, okay, like, yeah, that's the hooray sports guy, I, right? Yeah, I was behind a lady. I, I was behind a lady in line at, to to get food beforehand. Um, and she was wearing a Ryan Reeves jersey. So it's like it's like everybody's everybody's dusting off the 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 random the random empty netters style uh jersey bingo game yeah and all that i I swear one of my one of my friends in high school i don't know if he ever got picked up by empty netters but he was that (laughs) dude that would in the crosby malkin era too like it wasn't the early 2000s when you were just picking and choosing whoever had a hot couple days right he was always that guy that would have the third or fourth liner guy or the ahl ahl call up and He'd show up to school and we'd look at him and just go like, really? Like, that's who you're picking? Yeah, buddies, <laughs> buddies rolling up in, you know, a Chris Tamer jersey or or, or, or whatever it is. He, he was a huge uh, Jocelyn Tebow <laughs> fan for some reason. I, I couldn't tell you why, but he, he loved him. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't that crowded at the meetings of the Jocelyn Tebow fan club. He was he, he was he was one of two or three. Just ima- I just imagined it as the janitor from Scrubs having his meeting with the stuffed squirrels, just him sitting there wearing his Tebow jersey, talking to a few cutouts, like, excuse me, can I run the meeting? Absol- Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> he's, he's trying to find a place to trade it in for a Matthew Garon jersey. Just goes, <laughs> j- j- just goes like, you know, backup, backup goalie jerseys uh, c- consecutively. But, but yeah, on, on TV, it came across pretty, like we said, normal. It, it, it felt like a playoff atmosphere and you could tell the crowd was engaged and, I think a lot of it, at least from in my non-scientific, non-researched opinion, is it's a lot of pent-up energy. People were just excited to be back, and you're like, as much as the the bubble was nice, a nice relief to just have hockey to watch again. That you can't match the actual atmosphere of a playoff game in an arena at this time of year. That's just it's unmatched. I thought it was. I thought it was a crowd with a purpose too. I, I think they. I think they kind of knew what they were doing. You heard a lot of. Um, Man, you heard a lot of people trying to pump up Jari th- throughout the course of that game. I thought that was the most notable thing. Where, and it wasn't like, it wasn't like the uh, the mocking cheer that we heard them give Matt Murray a couple years ago either. It, it had it had the vibe of being completely sincere and really and really trying to pump up that dude's confidence. Like whether it worked or anything, that's another question entirely. But I I think there was definitely you know a cognizant effort on on the on the parts of the people who were there to 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 try to affect the game as positively as as they could and yeah the the jari thing definitely definitely stood out for me it 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 happened it happened really throughout the game that's a good place to go to start for talking about the actual game now is night and day for jari but really hard to like kind of like we talked about last week in the preview kind of a hard guy to figure out right now because 
obviously the talk of the town after game one was Jari's struggles and the goals he let up in the overtime loss in game one, but he also had a bunch of really good saves in game one. And it's like, for me, it was really hard. And I said it on Twitter that game one did kind of rest on his shoulders because I thought overall, except for maybe the third period and a little bit of overtime, the Penguins were the better team. They drove play. They were just superior in basically every aspect of the game. But then that momentum gets completely stunted when a nothing shot goes over Jari's glove and the game's tied or it's uh, a, a deficit for the Penguins. Totally. I mean, you, you you look at the first two periods of the first game, right? They're they're winning on expected goals percentage pretty pretty significantly. They're winning on chances. They're winning on shot attempts. They're doing everything, you know, that you that that you like to see from process when you're when you're trying to win a hockey game. And the goalie just wasn't good enough. I mean, he he gave up four goals that kind of ranged from either from soft to atrocious, pretty much. And that's that's why they lost. It, it's not it's not rocket science. They once they then they get behind in in the third, and you know that's that's that right like that's when the islander stuff kind of comes into play whenever whenever you're talking about barry trotz teams or 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 whatever it is um but yeah i i thought you know i i thought game two i thought game two looked similar through through the first two periods the the pucks the pucks were just were just going in and it's it's not it's not rocket science you know yeah and and i to go back to jari specifically too he definitely looked better. It was impossible for him to look worse. I still think it was like kind of a B level game for him because still, you know, you can tell he's he's fighting the, he's fighting the puck. He's handcuffing himself a little bit. I heard someone, I heard a couple people, you know, kind of hypothesize that he was going down early to make those glove saves in, in game one, and it was it was making his hand dip, which I which makes which makes sense to me. Um, I think you still saw a little bit of that last night, but maybe not quite to that same degree. And again, the the results were good. I thought his rebound control was actually was actually better. He was still he was still giving them up, but he was keeping them close enough to himself where he could, you know, where he could trap it where he, whatever, trap it against his chest, make a quick play to kind of shuffle it out, whatever it was. He did what he needed to do. And uh and you know, he's 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 one for two on the on the series right now. So yeah, credit credit to him for bouncing back. I still think there's some reason some reason for concern I, I know this is like super eye testy but he just didn't he, he didn't quite look right but it also was a marked step forward from uh from, from sunday afternoon no for sure it, it, he definitely has a kind of i don't know if i want to say non-traditional style but he is kind of all over the place as a goalie and that's a contrast to a guy that they had last year in matt murray who relied very much on fundamentals positioning tracking the puck for whatever faults he had there's one thing you can say about Matt Murray it's that he was a very fundamental goalie he played the the game the way it's coached and and I I think what the comparison I always made with Murray is if you you know you look at baseball and it's a guy with a complicated or golf like guys with complicated swings where they 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 know what they're doing it's the it's the route that they've taken but when you add a bunch of different, you know, from a mechanical standpoint, when 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 there's a bunch of different things that you kind of have to focus on, it can go wrong really quickly. There's like a there's like a kinetic kind of chain that happens when 
if if one thing gets screwed up, every everything can kind of follow. And I think whenever Jar, whenever Murray was it is was it his worst, that's what you saw. Like well, like one thing goes out the window and it throws up, it throws him off kilter with everything else. I don't think that that's the way Jari at his best plays. Like he's he's certainly a lot a lot more reactive, a lot more chaotic, and in, in in a positive way. But ironically, I think that's sort of what happened in game one. Like we had shades of Matt Murray where you're like, why is he, he's dipping his shoulder like that. What is, what, what, what is going on? So yeah, it was a weird kind of throwback to what we'd seen, you know, from the goalies over the last couple of years. But I think he took steps towards correcting it in, in game two. And that's really all, all you can ask for if, it, if you're the Penguins, you know, you, you, you want him to be a little bit better each, each game. And I, I, I think that's, if nothing else, that's, that's where he's trending. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think he, if for nothing else, game two is a huge boost for his confidence. Mm-hmm. Getting the win, standing tall in the third period when he really needed to, especially late with Brian Russ taking the closing the hand on the puck penalty. It, it, it was a, a a good sign for him moving forward through the rest of the series and hopefully the playoffs. Now on the other side, you have the Islanders who decided in game two to go back to uh, Varlamov after Sorokin gets the win in game one so I, I think that might have been a bad decision on Barry Trotz's <laughs> part just because while he wasn't bad in the second and third the first goal he gives up was as our absent host today <laughs> Mike Darnay tweeted out that was similar to a goal that Ruslan Fedotenko scored on him in the 2009 series against the Capitals where he just completely whiffs on a puck glove side it was funny. Russ got asked after the game, you know, basically if he was trying to score on that shot or if it was just a glorified, a glorified kind of dump. And then Russ, Russ, Russ's answer was, 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 was very, very short. He goes, he goes, yes, I was trying to score. So I'm like, yeah, I, I think, you know, <laughs> but it is, it's, it, it's easy. It's easy to wonder, you know, how, how much more focused they were on just, quantity over quality when it came when it came to shot attempts last night i think it's similar honestly to to what we saw in game one where you know the penguins are not they're not as much of a they're not a volume team really like they're typically like you talk about carter and mccann and to a lesser degree rust those are the guys that are firing pucks you know on on net every chance they get but i think you saw it a little bit more of an emphasis on it really across the board and I, i think the thought process is we're we're gonna throw whatever whatever you know we can throw on on net and we're and we're gonna bank on our team speed you know shining through and and, and helping helping us to get to rebounds and, and and that's gonna be the way they create you know chaos or whatever it is so I I think I think we saw some of that in game one but game two was even more was it was even more it was even more obvious that it was just you know especially in those first two periods it was like it was like yeah man we're just we're we're putting whatever whatever we can on net and it worked it's it, it certainly worked straight away i don't think you could have had a had a better start you know you give up you, you have a goal he's playing for the first time in however long because of injury and he and, and he lets in a goal somehow that was worse than than any than anything jari did in in uh in the first game so yeah it's a it's a great start it was it was exactly what they needed and you know i i think it kind of gave us a clue as to what their you know overall philosophy is uh for this series at least when I think overall, that's a good idea. When, you, regardless if it's the Islanders or the Capitals or whatever team you want to name, you have a goalie coming in for the first time in a month or so who hasn't played. Just get everything to the net. I, Don't let them get comfortable. That's a Don't ru- let them settle in. I, 
no pun intended that's a rust goal by by uh by by varlamov you know you it's tough to imagine him making that play if, if he'd been in, in a groove and in net for the last for the last couple of weeks so yeah credit to him for realizing that, that that rust could have been a factor there and you know get getting that first goal is always huge it's su- it's such a cliche but 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 it's true a and it's true against the islanders specifically because so much of their game is built on you know winning that battle at five on five how, how however it happens and then kind of falling back into that one three one or or what whatever whatever you want to call it yeah and i don't think so i i don't fully disagree with the first goal part of it i subscribe a little more to the theory that you want to be tied or up on them going into the third because that's their that's their bread and butter that's when the boa constrictor islanders come out and if you're if you're behind them going into the third they're just going to wrap around you 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 take a breath they squeeze tighter and force you into mistakes and force you to do something stupid and close the game off if if you and this is what I think the Penguins have been doing through two games, regardless of the series being tied, is they're forcing them to play a faster, up-tempo game, not letting them get into that defensive structure. The biggest thing that I've noticed over both games, regardless of outcome, that I think the Penguins have done really well, save for the third period of Game 1, the Islanders' only offensive attack is basically to get the puck deep and set up a cycle. They've done a really good job of either disrupting the cycle or not letting them establish that possession, which basically cuts off their entire offensive attack. And if you have them playing that up-tempo game, it's really going to hamper their ability to win. And the other thing, on the, on the other end of the ice, too, and it, it, it checks out anecdotally, and if you look at the heat map from, from last game in, in particular, they're not letting the Islanders force them outside, right? I mean, that's, 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 a, very basic, that's a very basic thing to say, but... You look. You look at the shots that they got from the low slot. I mean, that's exactly that's exactly what they're trying to do, and that's exactly what the Islanders typically like when when they're clicking on all cylinders. That's the kind of stuff that they're that they're preventing. So yeah, it's a you know I I, I think it's a that's about as that's about as good a game as 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 you're going to see uh, the Penguins play in, in in a series like this. And if if they get if they get more of that, if they get half decent goaltending, like I, I'm, you know, I, I picked them to win in six, and I'll I'll, I'll stick with it. Yeah, because I don't see them coming out with anything other than a split on the island. It, it that's still to this day, even with lower capacity crowds, a really really tough place. I to think play. I think that's part of the reason that this last game was so huge, right? Like you just can't. I mean, first off, whatever it's eighty-six percent of the of the teams that win that go up two zero go on to win series in in the first round. So that's something on its own. But also, man, like you just can't you can't bank on on winning two games at the Coliseum ever at the, at this point, let alone no. let, let let alone let alone right now. So yeah, that was a that was a necessary win. I, I I think the process the process is is where it needs to be. There's a ton of, there's a ton of really positive stuff. Uh, for them to for for them to draw out of that, but still we're sa- we're saying all this stuff, right? We're talking about talking about how great they played. And it was still puckering time down the <laughs> down the uh, d- down the stretch. They won by they won by one goal. You had the you had the insane play by Russ where he, where he closed his closed his hand on the puck and and uh, and, and, and and threw it threw it. Uh, did he go over he didn't actually go over the glass he just kind of like shuffled it no shuffled he, it over. he just closed his hand and yeah. threw it which i was so which honestly if he, if he would have just batted it it would have been fine it was, it was so wild caught it. dude i 
me and Josh were were watching that, and I thought watching it live from the press box, I was like, "There's no way he just did that." Like, like I like we both thought that we were that we were that we that were seeing things, and then we, we we look up and see see it on the delay on on the TV broadcast. We're like, "Holy holy shit! What does he do?" Because he's because he is such 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 a smart hockey player. He's a smart dude. He's he's also a smart hockey player. He's like maybe the last guy on the, on the ice who, who you'd expect to. To, to see to see uh, have a have a brain fart like that, but yeah, all's well that ends well for them. You know, it was, it was it was still super close down the stretch, but the the process was where it needed to be. And this is this is another eye test anecdotal kind of thing for me too. But seeing the way they were they responded after that penalty on the penalty kill six on mm-hmm. four, especially given whether it's deserved or not, when you're playing a team like that that you've faced in the playoffs the twice in the last three years that has, that swept you two years ago. It's really easy to get into that kind of not defeatist, but oh shit, here we go again mentality. And for them to stand up and kill that penalty and get out of the game with the win says a lot to me about where this team is and what this team can do when it matters. Brian Dumoulin, baby. He was, he w- he was huge, huge down the stretch, huge on that kill in particular, um, just a, a really, a, a really, really gutty kind of effort from him. You know, they, you know, his, his shot attempt numbers were, were fantastic. And you got to remember, this is a guy who <laughs> for a second game one, I thought is, I thought a bone in his foot exploded when he got, when he got, when, when he got hit with a shot and in, in, in the worst part of the skate, the dude couldn't, couldn't make it, couldn't make it back to the bench. Didn't, didn't take morning skate. He was a game time decision for real, not just, not just, uh, not just lip service there, but yeah, you know, he, then he gets, he gets checked in the board. He gets boarded by, by, by Peugeot and comes back and all that stuff. Just, just great, great stuff from him. And I, I think you saw how, how important he is and, and, uh, in, in, in what they miss when he's out of the lineup, especially on that, on that last kill. I, I felt, I felt like that was, that was kind of his show, especially after, after what it took to get to that point for him. Yeah, he's a guy that we all talk about and when we analyze the Penguins being as important as he is because of his value with Latang on that partnership and just how steady he is. But really, looking at this series so far, I mean, I, I wouldn't say MVP, but he's been one of the most important pieces for the Penguins. I thought... I thought it was going to be a long night for him early on too. There were a couple, a couple, uh, a couple puck retrievals that he lost, you know, early on. And you, you watch that sort of stuff, knowing what a, what a good skater he still is. And you're just like, man, this, this, this foot thing is not, is, is not going to work out for him. But man, he, he rounded into form. He ended up having a really, a really, really solid game. And that, in that, uh, you know, that, that kill with the empty net at the end, that was, that was, you know, that was, that was hero shit from him when, when, when you're talking about, you know, playoff hockey performances, at least just an ab, just an absolute masterclass mm-hmm. from him on that one. Before we move on to games three and four, I do want to focus on the defense a little bit. Cause I think it's been a little bit suspect through the first two games between, and, and not as a whole, I think Latang has been as expected. So is Brian Dumoulin. You know, I think you wrote about it this morning or last night about the Mike Matheson experience, <laughs> just being the Mike Matheson experience. It's it's on a razor's it's a, edge. It's but. a fingers it's a fingers crossed thing if if you're a Penguins fan for sure. But I, I've I've felt a little bit of concern with Marino and Pedersen. I, I, I 
again, yep. it's it's eye test stuff, but it just feels like these guys are just hesitating. They're a second behind. They're not making the plays they're normally making. It hasn't caused any huge issues yet, but it feels like it's something that could come back to bite them here soon. Yeah, Pedersen... Pedersen has some red flags flying around him. He he just doesn't he he doesn't doesn't look doesn't look right to me. And then and then Marino. Oh man, over the course of this season, you've gotten accustomed to especially especially when he's in the offensive zone. You know when he's when he's carrying pucks in or or, or get or you know get getting the puck at the at the top of the circles. You're seeing him. You were seeing him over the regular season doing some doing some interesting interesting stuff with the puck right he's showing the skating ability he's showing that kind of next that next phase of his game where where you know that when, when he's really comfortable and when he's when he's really feeling himself he's doing like poor man's Cole McCarr stuff right where he's where he's swelling his hips and doing all that sort of stuff and we haven't seen that in the first couple games so yeah he uh that that pair definitely needs to be better Matheson you know like we said he's always he's an he's an iffy proposition I know Sullivan said like he thinks him playing with that mask is is an issue. So I'll I'll take his I'll, I'll take his I'll take his word on that because Matheson does, looks an even a, a couple a couple degrees you know worse than he than he typically does. I thought Cody Cece played really well last night. Honestly, I I, I thought he bailed out Matheson a, a couple times. Um, he was a big part of that of that huge shift they had after the second power play, which was which was a train wreck. But they but they got. You know, in the wake of that, they got some really solid zone time where they were where they were on the attack for a minute or ninety seconds or whatever it was, and it was it was it was because of Cody Cece. So yeah, it's a it's a grab bag for sure. I think there's there's reasons for concern. It didn't come back and bite him last night, but it's definitely something to watch moving forward. It con- it continues to be absolutely wild Crazy. That, that Cody Cece has been as solid as he's been all season. Crazy. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if I so much subscribe to it being Jack Johnson 2.0. Maybe more like a Jack Johnson light. You're right. But just I think if I'm any, if if there's anybody who needs to be running a victory lap about Cody Cece, it's Kyle Dubas. Up until hundred percent, hundred percent. Before he left, that he basically said like I think Cody Cece is a good defenseman and he's a guy we can depend on and. He got mocked and booed for it, and this year in Pittsburgh, he's been pretty damn good. I think Dubis and and uh, and you know whatever the, the the guys in Toronto in generally gave kind of the Cliff's notes on how to use Cody CC effectively, and he was miscast because he's a first round pick and all this stuff. Everyone thought that he was, you know, some kind of off offense first, you know, play driving defenseman, and that's not. That's not what he is, but that doesn't mean that he's not he's not more useful if you if you if you use him the right way, right? Like he's he's a he's a good defensive defenseman, not <clears throat> excuse me, not like in the old school, you know, you you label someone a, a defensive defenseman because they have no offensive ability and you're trying to find something nice to say about him. I don't think that's the case with with CeCe. I, I think and I think we have a decent amount of data that that backs that up. If you use him right he's, he's going to be a useful player. And then you throw in the fact that he's making a million two or whatever it is. And you're just like, yeah, this is, this is, this is, this is completely fine. He's on a one year cheap deal and they're using him the right way. That is the opposite of Jack Johnson. He's not making, he's not making, you know, millions of dollars a year. He's not signed 
you know, through multiple presidential administrations, like, like he's, <laughs> it's, it's all, it's, it's all, it's all shaken out the right way for them. So yeah, I think, uh, credit to Dubis and, and, uh, whatever credit, credit to Rutherford and credit, credit to Sullivan for bringing him in because he's been, a, he's been a vital part of all this. And he's also, you know, counterintuitive as it may have seemed at the start of the season. He's also a really good counterweight for, for Mike Madison. Yeah, which is exactly what you need for a guy like Matheson, just a guy who's steady and where he needs to be when he needs to be there. It's it's on a much lesser scale, the Latang-Dumoulin pairing. Like, give give Latang a guy who is going to cover up for that so Latang can fly. Totally. So let let Matheson do his thing and make sure you got a guy back there. Yep. So moving forward, we have game three tomorrow night at the island and then game four on Saturday afternoon which, as you and I have said multiple times, we're not as against the afternoon starts as most people. I quite love, enjoy those. Love it, man. Every game. <laughs> All matinee everything, baby. Let's make it happen. Which, that was like, that remained up until a few months ago, like, to me, one of the more annoying things about the NHL this past season. You weren't having people in the building. A lot of people are working from home these days. So, like... <laughs> Why are we bothering with traditional six, seven, eight o'clock PM starts? Play a game at noon. We need more. We need more Steelers Ravens style, you know, three thirty puck drops on a on a, on, a, on a Tuesday. Give me, give me what I want. Cater oh, cater God. to sports writers. Let's make it happen. I, I forgot about that. Dude, that, that, was, that, was, that, that was that was that was that was that was that was hilarious. That was a that was a that whole process was a pandemic high point, right? Because you're just like, this is I, I shouldn't say high point. That was like that, <laughs> it was it was a low point, but just in terms of like pandemic meets local sporting culture, that's when you're just like, Oh my god, what is what is going on here? You, you got a holiday week and the game's postponed three different times or whatever it is, and then they end up they end up kicking off whenever people are you know, still, still at work. It's wild. So yeah, man, we're out of, we're out of that phase of life. But I, I, I think, I think the four o'clock, the, the four o'clock start should continue. Big fan of it. <laughs> so what are we looking for other than the obvious of a split in the Island, especially looking to game three? Cause obviously you have a little bit of the momentum back. You tied the series. You've played fairly well for, I would say of the seven periods played, you've probably been the better team in five and a half of Mm -hmm. them. So obviously there comes a little bit of a challenge, not having last change and having to go into a a rough place to play, but what would your expectation be for game three? Man, that's a good question. I think, um, I think the bottom six is is still, is still going to be huge. You look at at what Brandon Tanev brought to that game last night, Certainly, that's the most that's the most obvious thing, and it and it should be. The dude's a, a maniac in all the best ways. I, I don't know if I, I don't I, I couldn't have said this to you guys because it was it was before game one, but that was a thing that I missed about watching live hockey that I that, that I didn't realize I missed was being able to see Brandon Tanev, you know, when the cameras are off him, just just the way he goes about his business on a on on a normal shift. I mean, dude, that's a that's a treat. That's a, and, 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 and that's a, and that's a total maniac, you know, in a, in, in a positive way. So, uh, but as, aside from, aside from just the, the physicality and, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff that, that they brought, I, the, the Bluger Aston Reese Tanev line was, was like, again, just wildly, wildly good where, you know, they're winning, they're winning in, in, in expected goals. They're, you know, uh, really been the most effective line for them over over 
in a lot of ways over, over the last, over the last couple games. So if they can keep getting meaningful contributions from them and then, and then where, wherever Rodriguez and ends up and all, all that, I, I think, I, I think that's, I think that's huge. I think the biggest thing for me, and it's a cliche, but it's true is when the puck drops on game three, survive the first 10 minutes. Totally. Just don't like, don't, Try to do too much. Keep the game as simple as possible because the Islanders are going to be shot out of a cannon with that crowd behind them. Don't make too many mistakes. Keep it simple. If you can get out of the first ten minutes and keep the game scoreless, then it's time. Like I had coaches say that when I was coming up playing in college, where we'd go to places that had good crowds. It was you can only play on emotion for about ten minutes. Yep. And then after that, it's time to dig in and play. So if you can get out of the first ten or so minutes unscathed. Then the Islanders got to get, you know, to quote Dan Bilesma, they got to get to their game. Totally, and that's where, and that's where, you know, I, I think we're kind of saying the same thing too. I think that's where the play of the third and the fourth lines is is key. Like if you can get sustained zone time, especially in that in that first ten minutes, not just to weather the storm from the Islanders, because God knows it's going to be a madhouse in there. Ease Jari back into it. Like don't don't, uh, you know, f- have. Just try to try to follow this. Try to follow the the same script from game two. You know, get get him some confidence building saves uh, early on. You know, just like just like they did last night. So yeah, man, I, it's it's easy for us to say. You're like, yeah, just play game three the exact same way you played game two. But but I, I think I think that's the blueprint, right? You get you, you get you get real real sustained time. You ease ease Jari back into it, and I, I think they'll be better for it. Yeah, they have to. They have to let Jari settle into a bit of a groove. You can't let him get rattled early. You he, can't. You, he, got you, he got better. I, I know. I'm, I I feel like I might be might be dumping on him a, a little bit too much here, but he got better as that as that game went on. I, I I don't think he was. There's still still some, you know, maybe not red flags, but there there were some some touch and go moments down the stretch there. But he was better in the third period than he was in the first. And I really think that's. That's about all. That's about all you can ask for. So yeah, if, if you can, you know, make his first period as easy as possible, maybe maybe come out of there with a with a with an early lead. You'll be on your path. You'll be on the path to doing something some, something something pretty pretty solid. Yeah, and and the good news is for Jari Murray, whoever's De Smith, whoever's between the pipes for the Penguins mm-hmm. in this era, you don't need to be Carey Price in his prime. Mm-mm. Penguins the Penguins don't need a guy who puts up a 930 and stops everything in sight, it just has to be a guy who's just good enough to keep them in a position to win. As long as you're doing that as the Penguins goalie, you're doing you're doing the right things because it's always going to be a highly skilled, offensive-minded team. So as long as you're there to keep the game within reach, you got to let those guys take the reins and win the game. That's one of the big differences between Jari and Murray of, over the last couple of years is that is those, those kind of medium danger chances that that Jari has has a has a tendency to gobble up, and that Murray was real was really kind of was really kind of struggling with like the the prime scoring chances, whatever you you flip a coin on that. But if, but but if you have somebody who you know can reliably make the 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 easy and mid grade save, I, I I I think I think I think they'll be fine. It's not a coincidence that they lost Game One whenever whenever that didn't happen. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So you said the bottom six is who you want to watch there in, in games three and four. Obviously, for me, it's going to, again, be Brandon Tanev to watch <laughs> the bottom six. Just, just, I mean, obviously, for the sheer fun of yeah, it. Yeah, totally. He's, 
he's absolutely I'm insane. bummed I'm bummed out because I feel like I'm gonna draw we we've been doing these post game grades uh that we try to get out really quick after the game and the easiest way to do that is just kind of split it up right where it's like one I watch the top six game two I watch the defenseman I feel like I'm gonna draw bottom six in the in the uh in, in game three. And that is the one, unfortunately that I will not, that I will not be attending. So I, I can't do my little watching Brandon Tanev from, from, from my, from my bird's eye seat. I, I gotta, I gotta go on the TV broadcast, which is, which is disappointing. <laughs> but yeah, I think he, he's a really good counterbalance in response to what the Islanders are trying Completely. to do. And I, I don't subscribe at all to the theory of like, you got to fight fire with fire, eye for an eye, all that BS, because it's, that doesn't help, especially when you're a team like the Penguins, but just knowing that they have a guy there who is going to, it, given the chance, put you into the fourth row, it backs guys off a little bit. It, it, it shows a little more respect for, not the stars, just the just the way in which the Islanders are going to play because I do still think the whole rogue sheriff and deterrent is BS, but just knowing that they're going to push back kind of takes away from that game plan. Even if the pushback comes in the form of like after the whistle, just kind of scrum stuff where you know that there's a chance that maybe two guys get sent to the, sent to the box or whatever it is. That sort of stuff makes, makes teams think twice. I, I think we saw it. We saw it yesterday, right? Wherever, uh, Tinev, you know, had a little quasi breakaway. It go, goes into the post, bangs his head a little bit. Matt Martin cross checks him in the, you know, whatever back of the head, the top part of the top part of the back, whatever, whatever you want to say. And that, that is when stuff felt like it was on the verge of, you know, spinning out of control for them. But man, yeah, when, whenever, whenever, whenever you have a lunatic like that out there, it's, it, it's going to at least, you know, when, when you have teams that are, that are conscientiously trying to stay out of the box because, because it's the playoffs, like, yeah, that's, that's some kind of deterrent. And, and look, I'm, I'm with you. Like there's, there's more than enough data out there that says that, you know, the nuclear deterrent, the, the, the Ryan Reeves of the world, like that doesn't, that doesn't stop anything that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, lead to less penalties or whatever, but, um, you got to have a little bit of pushback. And I think, and, and, and I think Tanev is as good as anybody in the league, you know, in terms of providing that right now. For sure. So any series so far other than Penguins Islanders, that has been catching your eye that you've been enjoying. If all, I mean, I know you had, I know uh, you had the piece yeah, on. You know, Florida, yeah, I was Tampa, about to start. I was about to start talking about that, and then, and then, and then caught myself. But I mean, all these, all these series have been. I, I think we've been. I think we've been really lucky. I, I don't think there's any that that have been that have been duds so far. The the obvious one coming into it was was Avs was Avs Blues, and the first game certainly could have been right. Like Jordan Bennington stood on his head and kind of and kind of kept that close when it really had no right to be you know, a, a one goal game is as late as it was. We've, we've seen a lot of, we've seen a lot of really good hockey. I'm still, I'm still, I, I love, I love Vegas, Minnesota. I, I, I still think that that series can even hit another level and, you know, it's tied, it's tied one, one Vegas comes back last night and whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm anticipating a, a lot, a lot of fun from, from that one in, in particular. Yeah, and don't let don't let me stop you from talking about the Florida Tampa. Oh, thing. that was that was awesome, and and I'm with you know you and and someone like Sean Mickendo mm-hmm. who said like it's it's games like that that create new fans. Totally, and, and you talk to a few, but you look at what that was like. That was the, game one at least because game two was not as good, but mm-hmm. 
Game one was the microcosm of everything that is the Stanley Cup playoffs. It was fast. There was offense. There was hitting. There was bad blood. The the crowd in Florida, I never thought I'd say it, was absolutely bonkers the whole time. Rats were thrown on the ice again. Again. Like, one of the best games I have watched in the playoffs in years. The vibes from that game were great. And it was – so that was the 7 o'clock start on Sunday – you know, I, I'd gotten done with work and I was eating in the strip with my buddy, Mike Persak, who covers the covers the Pirates for the for the Post-Gazette. We both, you know, got gotten done writing and we're just like going to have a couple beers and in and, uh, and, and, and BS and whatever. Like, we'll have the games on in the background. Um, <laughs> Panthers lightning was like we, we kind of looked over early on and we're like what the what what the hell's going on here and it was I I think that's that's a great way to sum it up it was like okay I have to I have to pay attention to this and and so many people kind of came out of there with that you know or came into it with a with that with that same with that same kind of that same kind of mindset it was it was it turned into appointment television you know, after, after the puck drop, it was a, it was a, it was a great Twitter game. Everybody was having a blast. I, I think that's, I, I think that's kind of exactly, exactly what all this is about, man. If you, if you can't enjoy that, you gotta, you, you gotta try something else. For sure. The hockey side of it though, does kind of make me sad mm-hmm. because as much fun as game one was, and there was some carryover to game two, this really just is starting to feel like the scrappy upstart team going up against the big dogs and they're not quite there yet. Because <laughs> in, bo- in both games, Tampa comes out on top, and especially in game two, that felt like Tampa being like, okay, kids, you had your fun. Take a seat now. That was, in a way, you know, I, 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 I made the joke after – after game one ended, I was like, I was like Tampa, Tampa in five, you know, it did, it did kind of feel that way. And that's, and that's what it feels like, you know, you go back to the, go back to the Avs blue series too. When, when you're talking about these lopsided, these lopsided series game one, you, you can kind of catch them sleeping. <clears throat> Maybe you get a great, a great goaltending performance. Like, like the blues did, you can have Bennington come in and steal one. If that, if that happens, if, if he sees that through, then it's a, it's a completely different vibe, but the count the, the the kind of counter argument is like well we weathered their best shot that was that was the that was the luck that that was the lucky game right and and it, and it still it still didn't come out the right way whether you're talking about the blues or whether you're talking about the panthers so yeah i'm not i'm not i wasn't surprised to see to to see game 2 you know play out the way that it did and we can't we can't go an episode without mentioning just the absolute adrenaline rush that is the finale for the regular season for Vancouver and Calgary just <laughs> I don't know who won that game I I've I've I have no idea I, I, is there one more I don't even know yeah, they, I'm, they I'm play a, again today I'm a, at three okay we're, great we're, we're recording on Wednesday at one o'clock <laughs> I'm a professional hockey writer and I'm like yeah they're still they're so they're still doing that huh I, I just I can't believe that they're I mean I get why they're doing it like I get that you have contractual obligations yep. with sponsors who spend millions upon millions of dollars on the league, and you got to get it out of the way. Contractual incentives for, for players, maybe like you want the you want the stats to match. Like I, you, you get it. You can see the logic, but yeah, it, it's the, still crazy. The, the the dumbest thing of it to me was delaying the start of the North, yeah. which starts tonight. What you didn't think with, you didn't think the Flames were going to somehow come out with a fifteen point win and change <laughs> and, change, and change, change the seating? Yeah, it, it is. It's it, it's just it, it's crazy that we're still talking about that. And it, it's one of those things where it's classic NHL where 
they have some amount of uh, some a very real amount of bad luck, right? With the with the with the COVID variants in Canada and everything that happened with Vancouver last month. I mean, that's a that's a disaster. So you got to deal with it some way. But then they take that and they they kind of they kind of compound it and and add their own layer of bizarre logic onto on, onto an already shitty situation that was kind of out of their control. So yeah. It's funny. I'm glad. I'm glad it's about to be over because it's 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 been a weird kind of, you know, come down after 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 a lot of this stuff. I'm glad they're doing it at three thirty. I because I, I me and Josh were joking about that last night. We're like, dude, just play it. Put play play it at eleven in the morning. Make those guys make those guys wake up and and, and get get it get it done at, at you know nine a.m. Mountain time or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, and I, I just especially given that the two series in the north are going to be really good between. Toronto, Montreal, and in Winnipeg, Edmonton. Like, why are why are you denying fans of that? Because even even hockey fans in, in America are going to watch those series if they're on TV. Because there's a lot of intrigue there. It's you know, yeah, man. Give us G- g- give us give us Connor McDavid. We we demand it, right? I, I know. Yeah. yeah, show us Toronto versus Montreal, which, like we said last episode, could cause a. Tremendous amount of panic in the province of Ontario. <laughs> fingers, fingers crossed, baby. Let's make it happen. So, other than the uh, Florida Tampa Bay article, Sean, you got anything you want to plug out there? Uh, uh, let's see. Let's see here. We got some. We got some good. Some good Penns Islanders stuff up up on the site. We got Yoey's Yoey's post game thoughts, which are always which are always good. I know Rossi's cooking up something for. For the off day, that's always fun. And me and Dom are probably about to crack into power rankings uh, in in one way or another, which are going to publish Friday. So yeah, uh, nothing nothing outstanding. Just kind of standard standard coverage, you know, of the of the uh, of 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 the series we're watching, and then the playoffs at large. Which, like, honestly, man, I'm 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 thrilled about. It feels it feels normal, and it it, it hasn't for quite some time. You and number one Minnesota Wild fan Dom Lucision, you'll love to see it. <laughs> I've I've really loved leaning into hating hating on the Wild. That's been that's <laughs> been that's been a lot of fun. Dom actually asked to get as much of because the Power Rings published on Friday morning. We typically write a bunch of it after all the games. He asked specifically to have as much done as pod. This is true. Asked specifically to have as much done as possible going into the games on on Thursday because because he wants to watch the Wild so badly because he is he is num- number one Minnesota Wild fan. I mean, how could you not be with Kaprizov? The kid's just so good. He's a blast, man. There, <laughs> that I will say that's a that that's a funny kind of outcome of of the first two games of of, of this of this playoff series for them because everyone's like, "Holy shit, the the the, the Wilder fun!" I know it sounds crazy, right? And then then they come out and you know whatever grind grind their way through the, through their first two games. But yeah, man, he's he's must see TV, and I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to it as always. Old habits die hard with those franchises. <laughs> Well, hey, Sean, I appreciate it again, man. Uh, it's always fun having you. Hopefully one of these days we can get the whole crew back and have a full-on episode here. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to do correspondences because we don't want to rob Mike of his responsibilities. <laughs> he he just enjoys those so much, and I don't want to steal that from him. I was going to say, man, once you once you get that freeloader Darnay back in here, we can, uh, <laughs> we can roll it back and do it again. That sounds fun. Again, appreciate it, man. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, we always appreciate it. We'll hopefully be back after games three and four do another quick roundabout and talk about what the penguins are doing and where we're looking for the rest of the series